Welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I am here with my co-hosts, Dixie Cochran. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Hello. And an interloper, an intruder, someone that we never invited. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. Uh, Hi. That did sound more threatening. I was expecting like a booming laugh, but that was more maniacal. Hello, Danielle. Hello. <laughs> I learned it from anime villainesses. Oh, okay. The best kind of villainess. And how are you doing? I'm not going to ask my co-hosts. I speak to them every week. I am doing fine, thank you. Well, that was a nice, easy, deep dive into spilled <laughs> blood. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was it's always so great to talk to you. To be honest, this is probably the most pleasant conversation we've ever had. Probably. Wow. Yeah. Uh no, that I, I I don't mind actually seeding the idea among the listeners that there's some kind of drama in the background. Uh, what you know, they don't know that usually when when we go to midwinter, Danielle and I and others will go out for something to eat. And when Danielle's come over to the UK, we've met up for tea. That was very nice. They have brought lunch. me to a place called the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about drama. That's wonderful. <laughs> I, I felt it would be appropriate. It was actually very good, but I, I thought it was a little, a little silly. <laughs> a little on the nose of the yeah. way I just kept staring and angrily stirring my tea. You're like, where do we take the American? Yes, uh, and uh, yeah, and Dixie, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm excited that we're recording with four people in one recording. This is new for us. Yeah. Yeah, outside of live casts, uh, I think this is a first, isn't it? Um, outside of, yeah, outside of live casts in situations where we were all in the same room. Yeah. Because we've true. done it with like us and like Rich at a con. Yeah, Rich laying across my hotel bed. <laughs> that episode was very funny. <laughs> I was tired. Uh, I was probably less tired than I sounded, but then I put across. But you know what? You have to make sacrifices for drama. And You're all Eddie, about the drama today, Matthew. <laughs> I am. I, I am a drama king. I think. I think it's actually because completely not Onyx Path related. I am writing uh, a book for Call of Cthulhu right now, and I'm dealing with the King in Yellow. Oh, uh, as it seems, everyone's dealing with the King in Yellow right now. There seems to be lots of books dealing with oh. Haster. I know you're not supposed to say his name, um, and that is a very dramatic, great old one with a very dramatic cult. So yeah, uh, I have the stage in my soul. You should probably get rid of that. That may cause bleeding and inflammation. Especially when the tap dancing stopped. <laughs> and, <laughs> Everyone really is dealing with the king in yellow right now. Like he's just he he won't leave my house. Like, <laughs> I can't deal with him anymore. He just won't go away. He's like an unwanted guest. Yeah, I'm like, stop eating my food. <laughs> Stop leaving wet towels on the floor. Stop taking two-hour-long showers. No one yeah. needs that. Get the fuck out, King in Yellow. <laughs> Get a job. He has well, a yeah, rent in months. Mm, these, these damn aristocrats coming down from Rillier or wherever the hell thinking that we serve them or something like that. Yeah, I, I can... job for an old one. Suddenly they think you'll just do everything for them. Yeah, see, we had the Boston Tea Party, so we didn't have to deal with this shit. 
<laughs> yeah, they are the boomers of the uh, Cthulhu mythos. Okay, King uh, in Yellow. Yeah, okay, great old one. Uh, we cultists will do all the heavy lifting. Uh, Eddie, I've not asked how you're doing. Um, I'm still trying to get that image out of my head of, of a geriatric chthonic entity, you know, yelling at Fox News. <laughs> Slipping up and breaking a sip in the shower. Right. Cultists, raise me! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, here, Alathotep. Aside from that, speaking of, of, of devastating things, um, I am doing well, but um, I, I, I'm reaching the point of my convention travel season where I'm watching all of my future events fall like dominoes because of uh, COVID-19. <laughs> so that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I this is why I'm glad I fly on Southwest Airlines because I can just cancel last minute, no problems. Also, yeah. they don't have bag fees, which you they know don't, which is pretty I'm amazing. super into as somebody that takes way too much luggage to everywhere I go. Same. Right. Especially <laughs> I live in Atlanta, which is pretty much a Delta hub, so I don't know. Oh my god. Yeah. So, but every time I go anywhere, time. I'm like I'm like, what if I need a ball gown though? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes you do. Yeah. I, I've had the same problem. I'm uh, I'm supposed to be going up to Tabletop Scotland. Uh, Scotland, as far as I know, hasn't been... Actually, it has been afflicted somewhat by uh, this uh, pandemic. Um, and the airline I was supposed to be flying with went out of business shortly after this. Uh, yeah. Wow. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and so, luckily, uh, I, I got an immediate refund. I was insured, so that was all good. But... Um, for a while, one of the local airports, which is a fairly large one in the UK, Southampton, uh, just had nobody in them in it because the largest uh, airline that flies out of there was this company, Flybee, and as they had no flights running, no one was there except for the workers. Um, but thankfully, a new airline has taken over. Uh, a, a small Scottish one has just decided to run its planes between south of England and uh, Scotland. So that's on. But the convention I was supposed to be going to in Italy uh, has, yeah. of course, uh, that's not until September. Everything might have cleared up by then. And I certainly don't want to make it sound like the biggest casualty of coronavirus is my convention attendant. Right. But I think that like that's that's where a lot of people are feeling it right now. Yeah. Because a lot of folks, you know, they they or their families aren't affected, but I have heard everything from folks who do the convention circuit as far as the, you know, kind of like nerd convention circuit, uh, whether it's selling art or doing demos or people that work for game companies are affected. And then of course, um even one of my friends was going to an Adobe conference. Um and the 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 big Adobe conference got, got got canceled and she's not in our industry at all. So yeah, that's that's where a lot of folks are just feeling it right now. But also, I mean, you know, it is like we're not trying to be alarmist here, people. Wash your yeah. hands, don't touch your face. Right. But... Yeah, I mean <laughs> I live in Austin and they canceled South by Southwest and there's so much money that comes into the city yep. from that convention. Right. And there's so many small businesses that are now in dire straits because they do not have their yearly boosted income mm. yeah so, i've been i've been thinking about that like how much money like gen con brings to Endy, and we right. don't know what they're going to do with gen con yet i think it will depend on how things progress over the next 
month or so. Yeah. I mean, but the whole thing is, you know, it, it, it is good for public health to cancel these events. Right. To try to keep cases down. But it also, because of how our society functions, means that a lot of people are going to be suffering in different ways. Right. Yes. And, uh, yeah, that's where you have to kind of hope that the government will step in in certain places to whether it's compensate or yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> that, that's why I said hope, not um, depend on. I'm not sure know. if you've noticed, Matthew, but we live in a capitalist hellscape. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, see, we've avoided uh, talking about politics for a very long time on this, on this uh, podcast, but damn it, it seems just about time. Tune out for the next three minutes if it doesn't interest you. Um, <laughs> No, it's uh, it's quite interesting to see that in a lot of uh, cities, well, a lot of countries in Europe now, or at least a few, uh, they have uh, put a ban on indoor gatherings of greater than 1,000 people. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. in some hospitals now in countries in Europe, uh, visitors just aren't allowed. Mm -hmm. They are not being permitted at all. Right. Uh, just in case, because, yeah, you, you just can't tell who is uh, carrying this uh, virus if they're only exhibiting minor symptoms or none at all. So, yeah, it, it, uh, again, it makes perfect sense from a preventative standpoint, but the knock-on effect that I think it's having to people's lifestyles is, uh, is going to be quite great either way. So, yeah, I guess we'll just wait and see. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing right now with 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 COVID specifically, COVID-19. Um, part of the issue is that people are like, oh, there aren't that many cases yet. And it's true. There are. But those are confirmed cases that we're talking about. Right. And like. There's a really cool website that actually is tracking it, which yeah. I, I can link in the show notes. And we've gone from like 116 when I checked it yesterday to 121 right now. And that's so that's five thousand more confirmed cases, many of which are in Italy, et cetera. But there are over a thousand cases in the U.S. right now, and not everybody that has it realizes that they have it. Right. And no, it doesn't. You know, there are a lot of people who are like, "Oh, the death rate," and it's like the death rate is between two and four percent, depending on which reporting you're listening to. And it's actually pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it does affect you know older immunocompromised people more, like they're still people. Mm. I still care about them not dying. Yeah, I mean, especially older men, like our entire Senate and House is just ripe for dying. Like, not to be gross about it, but like the people sure. who everybody's like, oh, it's just older people and, and the infirm. And I'm like, no, actually, like men over 50 are in super danger. So like, you should maybe be a little more concerned about public health. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Speaking of public health, spilled blood. Uh, I'm <laughs> it's actually <laughs> really unsanitary. Yeah, so don't do, not do touch that. Spilled blood. I mean, but our book, please. Yeah. Um, so, well, God, that is actually a bit of a transition. Let's let's work our way up there. Contagion Chronicle. There we go. <laughs> oh, no. um, this is in poor taste, and you know it. Ah, well, it only is if I'm mocking the people who are suffering from the virus, and I'm not. I do hope they all get well soon. Um, otherwise, yes, contagion in role-playing games. Um, actually, let, let's make the connection a little more explicit. Uh, we've dealt with, and especially this has been seen with V5, the mishandling 
of real world events in role playing games. Yeah. So this is a bit of a, a bombshell to drop on the co-host because we didn't discuss this in advance. That's okay. Uh, but yeah, um, V5 now infamously, I guess, uh, handled a couple of real world events uh, not particularly well. And uh, there was backlash for that. I think, for the most part, it's all been recovered from. But something that has come up uh, occasionally, mostly in uh, Dark Ages books, I think it was in Requiem for Rome as well, uh, because disease, plague, was more uh, prevalent historically, mm. um, is the idea of uh, viruses in the Vitae. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. while I'm certainly not suggesting everyone should put coronavirus in their game, no. Um, what I am asking Danielle to put uh -oh. you on the spot uh -oh. is no, no, is um, is that another way of I guess handling vampire? How do you how would you handle uh, a vampire chronicle where I guess the herd, the the kind, are I guess suffering from illness where there is the possibility of communicable disease uh, between mortals and vampires um and yeah how would you do something like that sensitively uh, especially when they, these are sometimes viruses that still exist today sure uh, you know that's a great question because we have a couple of bloodlines uh, in requiems <clears throat> that that do like communicate diseases between humans um actively intentionally uh either because they feed on them or because they uh are addicted to infected blood or whatever else and so you know how do you represent a pandemic without you know making light of the fact that people legitimately die from even just the flu every year um <clears throat> and i think it's you know this is a horror game and to you know remember that these things are horrible these things are not light they're not jovial we're not laughing about them instead when something like this happens it should kick a visceral horror response to oh god i can't believe this is happening and maybe the desire to stop it and you can't stop a virus uh as a vampire or you know, maybe if we were playing a superhero game, you could, but you know, that's not in the vampire wheelhouse. So they're not stopping that so much as they are, you know, you as characters should want to find out how, you know, how is this happening? Why is this happening? What do mm -hmm. we do with the person that's propagating it? Uh, right. How do we handle, how do we handle mitigation? Do we help, you know, clearly we should care about the lives of people because they are vampiric livelihood, they're their herd. Um, and also lots of vampires have them as their touchstones in Requiem. And so, you know, you bring it very close, one of your touchstones is ill. Uh, you know, you want to save that person's life. Mm. So you begin to, you know, have a very, very personal stake in what's going on. Um, and, you know, it, thinking of it personally, thinking of it as a horrible thing. I think all of these things kind of are the way you handle a lot of touchy subjects. And of course, always, you know, if people aren't up for that kind of thing, if they're just, if it's just too personal, then you just forego it 
completely. But if it is a thing that you're interested in playing through, if you're interested in playing through blood diseases, uh, if you want to bring the, the Morbus or the Noisai into your game uh, and have them wreaking biological havoc, then, you know, make it as personal as possible and drive home the fact that it's horrible. Mm. Yep. To kind of build on that, um, and speaking of diseases with political ramifications, um, when I worked on New Wave Requiem, one of the things that I had a lot of talks about originally when I developed that book was I wanted to include AIDS and the social complexities of people with AIDS during the 80s. Um, and when we ultimately came down to it, it does have mechanics, but I very explicitly said in that book, um, this is not how the HIV virus actually, HIV disease actually works. Um, mm -hmm. This is how people believed it to work at the time. Um, so we're looking at the pop culture understanding of what is going on here and is very different from the actual disease. And so there's a lot of language like, you know, clarifying we're not trying to build all these, but not rather trying to do context for you really can't talk about a lot of what's happening in the 80s without talking about AIDS to some level. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and a lot like Daniel says, like was, the whole goal is to make it personal, talk about uh, the consequences of people with this, about spreading it. Um the, the the human cost and the, the how it impacts people's lives over the board game style of how do we stop this outbreak from going from other places. That that's not where vampire works well. You I mean no. pandemic board game is great and wonderful, but that's not what vampire does well. No. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, I I could see people being inspired by current, you know, atmospheres of, you know, there's there's definitely some things to look into, right? Uh, with what's going on right now because while people are trying to prevent the spread of this disease, they are quarantining themselves, either because they're sick and quarantining themselves, or some people are voluntarily not traveling, not going places in hopes that they won't get sick and not spread it to other people. And so when you mm -hmm. have a city that's under quarantine or something like that, you know, an interesting, uh, an interesting play can come out of that in a game without completely trampling on the fact that that's literally happening right now. I mean, it is literally happening and it absolutely affects people's lives. So like, if you're gonna play a game in which you're dealing with a quarantine situation, again, you don't wanna make light of that. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, no, I completely agree. I'm glad I asked the question now. Um, it's... It is something uh, that has come up in my games occasionally. It's mm -hmm. um, something, you know, you'd have to struggle. Well, not struggle. You have to do your best not to trivialize it. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I would certainly suggest. I think, uh, in fact, uh, further to, I don't know whether it was one of the tweets we made about the Pathcast or it was a Vampire the Masquerade tweet I made recently. Someone said, uh we, you should be using the current uh, virus problem as as a plot, and I just thought uh, uh, using it so, I guess so directly as fuel for a vampire's plotting or you know a chronicle would seem in incredibly poor taste. Right. Uh, I completely agree. There are ways to handle it sensitively, but I would probably say. For most groups, uh, 
using a pandemic that is currently going on right today as uh, as the grist for your chronicle is not a wise choice um but that, that would that would be my take on it yeah i mean i think <clears throat> i think it's all about you know being careful not you know um i would certainly feel uncomfortable being invited to a you know covid-19 you know, a game that centers around COVID-19 right, right now. Yeah. You know, uh, if we want to do a game about a, you know, Ebola outbreak, or we want to do a game about the Spanish flu or something like that, then it's still topical, but it's not literally the thing that's happening right now. Well, we had that problem when we were working on the Contagion Chronicle, in fact, uh, with uh, it had, and I remarked upon this a few times on the podcast, that um, uh, something I have grown to struggle with as a developer is travelogue books. Mm. And uh, that's because sometimes finding the authentic voice that you need for a certain part of the world is uh, an incredible challenge, sometimes insurmountable because mm -hmm. you want to be as accurate as you possibly can and respectful as you can be. Right. Uh, and sometimes you just can't hit that mark. And I felt like we hit that mark with our work on uh, Congo in the Contagion Chronicle. Uh, but as that book was entering development, uh, that's when the Ebola outbreak uh, occurred, uh, I guess, a year ago now. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was suddenly faced with the possibility of should i cut this chapter is it no longer appropriate to contain this because again it seems like we're trivializing a very real outbreak and the the outbreak in the book isn't ebola it's this uh, metaphysical contagion uh, but there's enough similarities that uh, similarities could be drawn uh, so it's uh, something yeah something i've I was worried about last year and I would certainly be worrying about it now if I was writing a book about, uh, about a viruses. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things that I think about when we talk about this is horror in general, right? Everything that is horror uh, reflects something that we as humanity are afraid of. It's often as a metaphor of a real life situation. So, you know, zombie, like literally Every zombie genre thing uh, traces back to some kind of infection, right? Uh, or in contagion, and it's a zombie apocalypse because it, it spreads so fast, and people get the disease, and then you get bit by a zombie. And you know, there's some hope in some of those, you know. Uh, but the 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 reason that zom like the zombie genre continues to do well is because it is still a very real fear that people have. Um, you know, vampirism is also kind of this often a metaphor for various things. It originally was this kind of fear that, you know, your loved ones weren't actually dead and you buried them alive. And now it is, you know, it has, it morphed into, you know, if you go watch the hunger and realize that it's a metaphor for the AIDS epidemic, um, right. If you go watch, you know, other random vampire things and, you know, there's a lot of that, uh, those fears that have been stripped out of some vampire media, but they're still, you see them very real of, you know, it is sometimes a virus that is 
infecting your loved ones. It's making them ill. We don't know why. You know, there's so many things that it's a metaphor for. And so lots of horror in general play on our very real fears of things we can't control. And so I, I think it's okay to continue to play on those fears as part of horror genre. It's just how on the nose uh, you are right. yeah. is what matters. Uh, so let's talk about spilled blood because I know sure. we've uh, prevaricated a little, but no, spoken about something that's, I think, very important uh, that we've never even discussed before in the podcast, but is timely. So on the subject of spilled blood, before I speak to you about it, Danielle, mm-hmm. I think it's only fair. We're going to start from the top. Not that there's a hierarchy, but the top. Dixie. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, so, Dixie, this is a Vampire the Requiem book, and you are the Chronicles of Darkness in-house developer. I am. Same Night Horrors book. Mm. Uh, so what can you tell us in terms of broad strokes regarding this book? And, in fact, your love for Vampire the Requiem, because I we haven't really <laughs> spoken about Requiem often. I do love Vampire the Requiem. Um, I, I was introduced to it. 10 years ago when I first met Rose Bailey. Um, that's pretty much when I first kind of kind of knew what was happening. Because um, I had dropped out of role-playing for a little while there in favor of World of Warcraft and not having real-life friends. Um, so my first impressions of it were actually the clan books that Rose did back in the day, which made me nice. really fall in love with it because they're so beautiful. Um, but, of course, Danielle's been the main developer for Requiem for a while now. And I... Can you refresh my memory, Danielle? Was Spilled Blood something? Wasn't that already in the queue before I started? I think it was. Yeah. There were a few books that, like, kind of were already pitched and outlined and starting to happen right when I started. Um, So this would be a project that I think that Rose greenlit. And then Danielle and I, you know, kind of saw through to the end. Um, I, I believe you're correct on that. I think so, too. I don't remember pitching it, but also I don't remember books I worked on literally six months ago. So <laughs> it's all a blur. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it is a Nightheart's book, so of course it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, antagonists and scary things for your game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a bunch of new bloodlines, and this is the one that has that has vampire mermaids, right? Yes. It has Wait, vampire what? mermaids, which is probably <laughs> my favorite thing about it. No, no, you, you just gloss over vampire mermaids. <laughs> we yeah. don't. We won't. Don't worry. Okay, good. No, no, no. I can, I can let Danielle do a lot more, you know, depth on that. But there definitely are vampire mermaids, and they're super cool. Um, and I think there are some. Are there some new antagonistic, like just orders in general, Danielle? Yes. Yeah, yes. there's a lot of cool stuff in there. It's just that I don't remember what I read ten minutes after I read it, so I end up sounding very silly. I will say, according to DriveThruRPG, uh, it has 10 new bloodlines to serve as both antagonists and player character options, two new antagonistic covenants, several lost clans with reasons to both hate and work with kindred, and myriad antagonists to prey on vampires, either as diseases or those who need Vitae. That is correct. That is what is in the book. (laughs) (laughs) And you know how fond I am of maritime menaces, so so why wasn't this book just called Vampire the Requiem Blood Mermaids? (laughs) They came from beyond the mermaids. Because that might be a book that I'm working on for the storyteller's fault, Matthew. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've ruined it. You can you can announce it now, I suppose. <laughs> We're gonna call it Cult of the Dark Blood Mermaids. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> you you missed the word shadow, but I I think we'll go the dark blood shadowy mermaids. That makes we it more mysterious. We were talking about Eddie not wanting certain words and book titles anymore in the Discord the other day. And uh, someone suggested Night as another word we should probably put a moratorium on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I support that. So, Night Mermaids. Bloody shadow creatures. Bl- Dark so, Blood mermaids from the shadows of nights. Ooh, Ooh. yes. Uh, and I think uh, it's going to really put a bit of a kibosh on any by night books we ever happen to do in the future. But we <laughs> or could night do... horrors, for that matter. Yeah, or night horrors. So we could do like a, I don't know. <laughs> Dusk uh, horrors. Yeah, Salisbury by Dusk. Brunch <laughs> horrors. Uh, the, the... Salisbury after dinner. <laughs> horrors at the witching hour. Actually, that's not bad. That's, that's just not bad. bad. Yeah, okay, that, that's my the, uh, novella written. All of the uh, awakening books can be at the witching hour. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Danielle, you obviously know a little more about Spill Blood than uh, than we do. Uh, only a little. <laughs> only a little. Uh, I would hope a little more than that. Uh, my first question to you is actually to do with Bloodlines, because I know Bloodlines are something a lot of people have wanted back in Requiem since 2nd mm-hmm. Edition launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, having, again, dealt with V5, I can tell you that everyone wants Bloodlines all of the time, no matter right. what game of vampire you're developing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I'm actually I mean, curious. it was a good video game. What do you want it from me? Was. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that was it. Uh, there weren't many Bloodline Bloodlines in uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, except for the Nag Lopers and the Gargoyles and the Nagaraj. Actually, that's a few Bloodlines. But anyway. <laughs> Daniel, except for this, 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 this. Yes. Uh, my question, uh, and uh, as a, this is a deep dive, we're going to go all over the place, mm-hmm. is why 10 new Bloodlines? Uh, were there any you were tempted to revisit from first edition and kind of uplift? Oh, God, yeah. So so the one of the reasons why I wanted new Bloodlines was because I don't think there's anything wrong with the first edition Bloodlines. There are some things that I could do to tweak them. Uh, absolutely bringing their mechanics in line with uh, the second edition mechanics. Uh, But one of the things I wanted to do with Bloodlines was to um, show people new stuff um, and then kind of enable people to take first edition Bloodlines and see how they could bring them forward for their own games. Um, And so by providing new Bloodlines... Uh, the other thing is, is that I wanted bloodlines that were uh, had reason to be antagonistic and not, I mean, I, I could have sifted through all the first edition bloodlines and absolutely come up with 10 of them. Um, but it was, it, it felt, you know, like if I'm going to pull all of the first edition bloodlines, uh, the bloodline market is a little saturated there. Uh, <laughs> and, and then if I pull 10, then literally everyone will ask me, but why didn't you pull my favorite one? So I felt it was safer to just make some new ones. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So so can you tell us about a handful of these new bloodlines and what makes them exciting? Sure. Uh, You know, one of the things 
I'm going to preface all this with is that uh, I wanted to kind of hit a variety of feel. Uh, you know, some of these bloodlines are a little more like directly antagonistic. Some of them are just esoterically weird. Um, You're esoterically weird. I yes, sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, that is correct. <laughs> One of the, I think one of my favorite, even though it's probably one that uh, folks will probably argue with me about being their favorite, which is just so on point, are the parliamentarians. Uh, they are a bloodline uh, that is specialized in the Carthian movement. So one of the things I wanted to do was show that bloodlines uh, could be centralized within a covenant in a way that essentially multiple people simultaneously all the different clans kind of came up with an idea for a bloodline or generated a bloodline all at the same time um, and have, you know, taught the concepts of it to each other to the point where any clan can find their clans, you know, that bloodline, like, oh, I want to, I'm a maquette. I want to join this bloodline. There will be a maquette in the covenant who has the bloodline that could teach it to you kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to show a couple of those off. And the one for the Carthians is so very much Carthian. It's a bunch of people who essentially just filibuster constantly and will <laughs> argue the minutia of anything until you just <laughs> give up. Oh, it's oh, I love it. Right. Uh, yeah. And they, you know, they're rules lawyers. They, they, will, uh, they will actively, like, make obscure red tape to, to that you have to try to cut through uh to to get anything done and then they will hold that against you <laughs> while you're trying um and i just i love it for the carthians because i imagine that the carthian movement can often uh you know when a city is run by the carthian movement there's a lot of squabbling going on because mm -hmm. while the carthian movement is one covenant it's not you know, it's not a zeitgeist and not everybody agrees with how to get accomplish their goal. And so having this kind of bloodline that could heighten that kind of squabbling and turn it into, you know, frustrating levels of, oh my God, I don't want to deal with this Carthian. Like, <laughs> <laughs> can we just not invite him to parties? <laughs> So, so the bloodline makes you socially unpopular. Uh, yeah, well, yes, and uh, and and honestly, when it was being written, I was like, oh man, I really, you know, in oh man, which one was it? Uh, in Guide to the Night, we wrote up some social combat rules, and I was like, these guys are all about social combat. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, we didn't uh, we didn't fully call out any specific social combat. Uh, actions, although they can give a condition that fits in with the social combat system if you're using it. Um, so nice. Yeah. Uh, so those guys are really cool. Um, the I really they don't sound cool. They sound <laughs> insufferable. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a night horrors book, Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because you're like they're really cool, and I'm like, no, no, they're the worst. They're I the mean worst people. Right, exactly. <laughs> now awesome. I want to play an entire version of Ace Attorney using just these characters. Uh, yes. <laughs> that would be amazing. Objection! I have to say, I do enjoy when 
uh, whether it's bloodlines, law sheets, or what have you, are introduced that encourage you to use systems in the game. Uh, it's going back to that uh, Rose philosophy of making sure every mechanic actually has a part in the game. It isn't just there uh, for you to default to, but it feels like an organic thing you want to interact with. So having a bloodline where social combat, as you say, introducing Guide to the Night, is a, I guess, more fundamental part and more fun part to use in, in Requiem. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah. So another bloodline that I uh, really kind of like are the Penumbrae, uh, who are... The... <sighs> Let me see. I don't know how best to describe them, but the book tells me how to describe them, so I'll, I'll use that. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you wrote this down. Jeez. Um, well, they're like dream walkers. Uh, so they, you know, they they go into people's dreams and they use it to divine things. Uh, they are also um, an, another covenant-specific group of the order. Uh, sorry. Blah, of the circle of the crone and <clears throat> they kind of you know they go into people's dreams they pull secrets hidden information um and and they're just kind of they're not necessarily like shitsters or anything like that but they can get inside your head literally um and that's kind of scary for a lot of reasons uh right like the sleeping mm -hmm. mind is very private and you know sometimes vampires have these you know day nightmares or daymares i guess that day sounds like, that that sounds sounds like some kind of special unicorn or something i don't know <laughs> 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 but but you know and and you know vampires are vulnerable when they're sleeping uh they're they're torpid in a sense they're not in torpor but they are deep sleepers and knowing that you know, some other vampire can sneak into their dreams while they're sleeping is, you know, it doesn't matter how strong you haven up, these these vampires can get into your mind and uh and take your thoughts from you kind of thing. Um and so they get some special crew act rights that allow them to uh send visions into people's sleeping minds and they use uh they can also use people's uh dreams to uh enact like prophecy that's cool yeah hmm. so it, it kind of took some of the um you know the badass witch aspect of the circle of the crone and turned it into a full bloodline they can also work in conjunction with uh, beasts, it sounds like. Yeah. Which would be really cool. Yeah. And that would make them we... even scarier. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, we do We do love our crossover here on the Pathcast. Yes, yes. Uh, what about uh, some of these lost clans, then? Because I know some of them were introduced in the core book, uh, but albeit briefly. And we've spoken a little about them in the Dark Eras books. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, so what have you introduced in Spilled Blood? Well, first let me talk about what it means to be a lost clan. I know that I No, heard... we won't let you talk about that. Wow. Okay. You can't well, because I guess... they're lost. They're gone. You can't find them anymore. 
that you're very adversarial this episode, dude. I am, I am. Uh, I don't know why. I, I actually really like Daniel, but uh, I just thought it'd be fun to be antagonistic. <sighs> okay. Well, <laughs> Thanks, see, she's she's sandbagging you, Dixie. She's not going to rise to your to your challenge or lower oh. herself to it. I think I, you're going to oh. have to jab a little harder. Wow. Okay. All right. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Uh, yeah. So uh, I heard some. You know, I I say heard, but I I read some confusion about you know what what are lost plans? Why are we introducing so many? Um, you know, what's the point? Why aren't they just bloodlines? Yada, yada, yada. Like lots of questions like that. And honestly, you know, you if you want to play one of these clans, go for it. If you want to call it a bloodline, I also you can go for it. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to make is a difference between uh, a lost clan and a bloodline is that, you know, we talk about the five clans, right? And that's not a lot of clans <laughs> in, right. you know, in comparison to say masquerade or, or whatever else. Um, and second edition kind of wanted to put this into people's mind that there used to be all sorts of variations of vampires. Um, even if some were technically looked a lot like the other, you know, even if, this group really look like Gangrel. They're not. Even if mm -hmm. this group literally look like Deva, they're not. And they're not descended from Deva. They're not a bloodline of Deva. They were their own thing. But they didn't survive. Mm. For whatever reason, either because they were hunted by the other clans or because they died out of their own dumb mistakes or whatever happened to them they're they're not a prominent clan anymore that doesn't mean they're completely dead and died out it means you've only got a couple of members left uh one maybe two uh maybe a handful and these clans have are lost in the sense that they don't make up the 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 major five clans anymore um <clears throat> you know there might have been like the julii a height of power uh and then they were lost and there may be um you know, you may see some connections between a lost clan and one of the new clans. I say new, uh, one of the current major five. And you can think, oh, maybe these guys were progenitors of that clan. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not, but we don't know anymore. And so we've introduced, you know, surviving members of these lost clans. Uh, whether there are other members, you know, not not a hundred percent uh true you know we don't know and we left that open so players want to play one of these plans they can um if they want to use this specific one that we have introduced into uh the their chronicle as an antagonist they can also do that Oh, so. That's good. I, I like material that both players and storytellers can use. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I think it's a valuable trait to have in any of our source books. It's uh, something we've run up against. I think all RPG companies run up against at some point. It's the idea that a book is only useful for one person at the table. Right. Uh, right. And even the even the characters that aren't, you know, 
fully vampires that we, you know, get to in the next chapter, which I'm sure you'll ask me about. Um, we will. <laughs> those, even those characters have mechanics that may be useful to players. Uh, well, do you tell. You, uh, you've well, opened the door. Step through it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, most of these are awful, awful groups um, that are twisted versions of, uh, you know, either ghouls who have twisted or people who are drinking blood and aren't really ghouls at all. Um, but honestly, I think the Everlasting is probably the group that uh, players will probably most connect with um, oh yeah they're super weird i remember them right they're not they're not vampires they're not uh but they're an ancient being and really you know we could have thrown them in a thousand years of night but i only had so much room in that book so they're here um but they're you know these kind of like waxy immortal creatures that kind of remind people of vampires but just aren't um and but they are their powers let me double i don't want to say the wrong thing because <laughs> so they they have a thing called ichor and ichor is you know what they use they essentially secrete it and they coat things in ichor to make it last forever um and so you know i i, I have this Im imagined scene where people walk into like a wax museum and instead of everything just being made of wax it is like literal people who have been coated in this wax to stay the same forever wow that's right? beautiful right and so you know can uh can players utilize the icker mechanic on their vampire uh no but can players play one of these characters i don't see why not um so there you go that, that's uh a, a concept i wish i had heard about before i uh developed mummy second edition <laughs> <laughs> oh no um, it's another day sorry. too late now uh, Sorry. Not because I wanted to steal it, uh, but because, uh, as we know, that's a game that it uh, that has incorporated immortals from World of yes. Darkness Immortals now. Yes. Uh, so, hmm, in the Book of Lasting Death, I may have to make a reference to these Everlasting. Uh, if you yeah. can, uh, after, after we're done recording, sorry, listeners, after you're done recording, uh, if you can send me the edited version of sure. uh, Spilled Blood. I know it's in PDF, but it's easier to just have the text. Oh, I know. It's easier to search the yeah, yeah, easier to just copy and paste. Uh, no, that's not what I will do. Uh, <laughs> Matthew's wow. just admitting to plagiarizing from within the company we all work for. Yes, plagiarizing oh, from a book that will be released within a year of the subsequent book. Also, Rich yeah. listens to this. Like, right? Oh, so no. He's not going to get away with it. He does. Uh, hello, Rich. Uh, we we ascertain, <laughs> by the way, that Rich is uh, not Donald Pleasant's Blofeld, but Charles Gray Blofeld. In case right. you missed his comment on the uh, blog, he, he, he also made sure during our meeting to, that, that this point was clear. So yeah, we talked about that for a while in the Monday meeting this past <laughs> week. Just yes. just so y'all know. Yeah. Um, Danielle, can you talk about some of the things that you can't play, like the bloodworms and the cats, the amaranthine cats? Uh, so. <laughs> Because I love everybody. Yes, yeah, so everybody loves the amaranthine cats. I love the amaranthine cats. Um, gosh, hold on. Let me 
Let me give a shout out to, oh no, it's going to be hard because it's been so long. I don't remember who wrote everything. <laughs> I am Ooh, sorry. Boo, boo. I, look, look, this was like over a year ago, okay, when it got written. And now my everybody... nameless minions. That's right. That's <laughs> the, all I think of them as. The uh, quote for the Amaranthine cats is they're just cats. And it's attributed to reportedly the last words of neonate Damon Carter before leaving a bar in Istanbul for an ill advised walk. They're just cats, right? <laughs> uh, no, they're a bunch of feral ghouls who will devour a vampire in packs. Um, like, while, while they're sleeping. Yes, yes. Wow. They, they, they're like cats do. They, they pop. They hang out in populous city areas. Uh, they have ingested. Uh, they have essentially diablerized a vampire that was sleeping, and now they are. Uh, like ghoul plus um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and hunt in packs and take down vampires to get their blood fix I just love mm. that there is a stat block in the book that says a small pack of amaranthine cats yes yes the small pack of cats which will wreck your face <laughs> y'all they have celerity 1 and obfuscate 3 <laughs> wow yeah that will wreck your face <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm trying to remember was it man i'm, I'm... cool a wrote these ones danielle typing is not exciting audio sorry content. sorry tara zuber <laughs> here we go uh, believe me believe me i'm not editing <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> tara zuber wrote amaranthine cats if you want to thank her for those beautiful words there we go <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Tara, uh, for for that. Well, and who wrote the bloodworms? Just to test you. Oh fuck! I think. It was <laughs> but no, can you tell us about the bloodworms? Uh, yeah. So the bloodworms are. Bleh. They're so <laughs> gross. You're gonna love this, Matthew. You love body horror. Yeah. So I, I definitely. So one of the things that I think I really enjoy body horror. Um. If, if anybody has ever written for me, especially on a Night Horrors book, they'll know that whenever they, they write something gross, I'm like, this is gross. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so the bloodworms are essentially tapeworms that affect, that infect vampires, get really big, and then burst outside, like burst out of them, and then go looking for another vampire to infect. Um, and they're, they're just they like some parasites do they try they kind of take over the body while they're in there uh they they essentially i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say i imagine it like you know earthworm jim in like a body like a mobile <laughs> suit, like yeah, with little controls that he's yeah but that's what i think um, That's amazing. The, the, hor the horror has gone. <laughs> <laughs> when I said that, uh, yeah, but they they secrete, you know, kind of these uh, chemicals that act on the brain that take control, uh, much like some parasites do. You know, there's a parasite that infects. Um, I think it's wasps. Or yes, I think uh, so. there's there's a couple of different insect parasites that will uh, it causes like 
uh, a grasshopper to climb onto a leaf and get as close right. to the sun as possible. Yes. And then it just grows out of that thing. Mm. Um, uh, that was the, uh, the thing that inspired the uh, mushroom, well, the fungus in The Last of Us, wasn't there? Yeah. It, it yeah. takes control of the body. Yes, yes. So, um, so there's lots of real life parasites that do this thing. And so, you know, horror that reflects things that terrify me um, <laughs> are these, these bloodworms that, you know, they're like a tapeworm, they get in through ingestion, uh, or various, you know, sometimes they can, they're small, they start small, uh, and they can get in through other means like crawling in through your ear, eyes or nose or something like that. Um, and then they take over and try to get you to a place where they can infect someone else. Um, and so you're kind of hijacked by a worm like <laughs> until, until it bursts forth from your body. I think that's why yeah. that one and the blessing of Athena are extra creepy to me because like, you know, not being in control of your own. Yes. Your mind is it's very scary. In a uh, blessing of Athena, Matthew, you grow a teratoma. Oh, so yes. you know, a creepy teeth and hair tumor, and then you are convinced it's your baby. Oh yes. Oh wow. Oh beautiful. You, oh yeah. It's so mm. gross. <laughs> so gross. So gross. No, that's that's wonderful. I can I can imagine a few stories around that, especially if it started happening to the prince of the city or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. A, lot, yeah. a lot of very confused courtiers looking at each other, thinking, "Who's the prince talking to right now?" Uh, that's, that's what's so cool about <laughs> some of these is because, like, yeah, taking away your player's agency entirely is not usually a good idea unless they consent to that and mm -hmm. they want their character to do something that's completely wild. But using these diseases on major NPCs. Yeah. It's super interesting. Or like yeah. having having your your yeah. party come across a vampire who's infected with one of these yes. and having to figure out how to stop it. Yes. Now, if your players consent to this sort of thing, then great, give them a bloodworm. It'll right. be interesting and weird. <laughs> right. Right. But if they don't, yeah, like Matthew said, give it to the prince. Like maybe maybe your group is called in to figure out what the hell is going on with them. He's got this lump and he thinks that it's a baby. And uh it's very strange. Uh, I have to say, as a wild out there tangent, and this is based on the cats quote that you uh, you gave earlier. They're just cats. Yeah, they are just cats. <laughs> um, a quote that Dixie put into "They Came from Beyond the Grave" uh, really stuck with me. Uh, it was for her zombies uh, antagonist that she wrote up for that game. Uh, which is, uh, quick everyone, to the roller rink. We can hold them off from there and have all the sweet tunes and cotton candy we can eat at the same time. <laughs> and it's attributed to Chad Waterhouse just doing his best. Just, <laughs> just doing, doing his, his best. best. <laughs> um, I shouldn't be uh, laughing at my own writing, but I find that really funny. And yeah, my, my red line on that was, this will end badly for Chad. <laughs> Uh, it truly will. Sweet tunes and cotton candy we can we want. Yeah. Quick. My people my moment to... has come. Yes, people always <laughs> go to a dumb place during zombie outbreaks. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've I'm... definitely seen like bowling alleys. Yeah, no, I don't think I've ever seen a roller rink. You know, people trying to roller. Actually, that's not true. I think one of the characters in Return of the Living Dead is on roller skates, aren't they? Uh, when they get grabbed by the. No, that's Land of the Dead. 
Either way. That's a lot of death. There, there are, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, we just had some, I just had some audio interference, but listen. Sorry. Right. Sorry. That's it was Danielle. Fault. It was all me. <laughs> mm. Punch me later when you see me. Whenever that happens to be, I will Whenever be sure that. to do so. <laughs> we just see Danielle a year from now. You just be like, what is that for? Your microphone yeah, briefly. Yeah, I'll play the pathcast in the background. <laughs> like the listeners cool. remembered. <laughs> they sure will. Uh <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh, in, on the topic of other playable material in Spill Blood, um, what else is in the book for players to really sort of dig their teeth into? So, you know, all the bloodlines are are playable as you know, both bloodlines and antagonists. All the lost clans, again, uh, if you want to make a character of that clan, I don't see why you shouldn't. Um, well, maybe I, I don't see why you couldn't. I could see reasons why you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. Right. Uh, and and the everlasting. I think that's about it for you know me. If I were running the game, that's what I would put my moratorium on. Um, you know, there's definitely uh, a... Like, do you want to play someone, you know, do you want to play a group of people who are part of the Order of the Golden Star who are essentially vampire pyramid scheme um, and and be part of that pyramid scheme, not being duped by it? That'd be cool. That's fine. Yeah. You, you want to do that. Um, you know, there's a lot of people I know who want to play the Belial's Brood. And I will not tell you, you cannot play Belial's Brood. But I will say, I wouldn't let my players play <laughs> Right. <laughs> I can't tell you what to do at your own table. I just never will. But they're they're essentially always in frenzy and terrible, awful like monsters. So yeah. you know, but they they have rules. So if you wanna play them as a character. Yeah, if you want to play a totally miserable character, you can play a twice cursed. Yes. Where you have true. the Deva and Nosferatu clan banes under uh, a certain and, humanity. And none of oh, the special, no. and none of the good stuff. Yeah, none of the good stuff. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I, I could see that appealing to a, a certain type of group. So how do the twice cursed come about, other than the fact that they may have just been cursed twice? Uh, it's, people don't know. Um, so the, so that's the that's the thing on them, where there's some uh, there's some rumors about how they come about, um, you know, a, a ghoul, like a, you know, oh, I was a Nosferatu ghoul, and then a Deva embraced me, and I kept both their curses, or, you know, or various other things, but honestly, nobody knows uh, how it happened. <laughs> but they that's, are. That's how a lot of the the antagonists in this book are presented is it's like here's this thing here are a bunch of different things they could have come from here are some rumors about where they came from yeah um but it's it's totally up to the players the storytellers to figure out right if, uh, if that's true or not right uh you know essentially there's you know there's kind of there's kind of a history um 
they are you know there's a a small brood of people who live together both both you know kind of creating uh vampires from both clans um and but they're not sure they're just saying that you know sometimes it's just an embrace gone wrong mm-hmm. um and you know there's there's all sorts of you know we even have a sidebar that it's not always just deva and nasratu uh it could be any combination yeah <laughs> of two clans that just poor poor person <laughs> Yeah, yeah ha- I, I guess they would off they would occupy the lowest rung in most kindred societies. Or yeah. is it is it is it something that's apparent, or does it only manifest through the clans? Um, it, yeah, they well, so they they have both the clans' banes, but they also don't have any of their signature disciplines. Right. <laughs> so yeah it would take a special kind of group to want to play them but i think if but if you did want to play a game dedicated to being these it would kind of be a bit like playing a ghoul game you know you a you... little bit yeah i mean you're p- more powerful than a ghoul because you are still a full vampire you still have yeah. potency and all that you know jazz and you still have you know easier access to disciplines and devotions um you know but you don't you just don't get the the clan specific disciplines. Mm. That doesn't mean you can't get someone to teach it to you by drinking their blood. Um. Yeah, uh, I could I could certainly see some ardent twice cursed joining the Ordo Dracul and being particularly motivated uh, members. Oh of yes, because. Any way to alleviate even one of the curses that they have on their heads would be uh, a small mercy. Yes, yeah, I could see you know the Order Dracul experimenting on them, um, or yeah. being a pa- or you know having a group that are doing experiments on others to try to like alleviate their curses. Um, yeah, I-, I could see reasons to play them as a group together. I wouldn't want to play one. Uh, as as its own like i'm the unless i was just really into suffer puppetry like this is my suffer puppet who is just more cursed than everybody else's <laughs> character like that's yeah. fine i've never heard the phrase suffer puppet but i love oh, it man. oh man i get it from the larp community uh yeah i say gotcha. larp community like there's one LARP community i <laughs> <laughs> think it's uh, the story of everyone who wants to play the last salubri yes yeah yes. so Okay. No, well, I'm going. Oh, sorry, go no, ahead. Sorry, you go. Uh, no, after you, Dixie. After me. After you. I was going to say, if if you wanted to play kind of a weird hybrid character that um, isn't twice cursed, there are the Hypatians in there too, which I think you would like, Matthew. They are um, Promethean vampire. Yes. Hybrid types. Like yes. they, uh, they, they spread disquiet, but they are kind of vampires. But they weren't embraced. They were made, but they drink blood. It's very confusing. Yes, oh, wow. they're yeah. So the their but progenitor, cool. yeah, their progenitor essentially made herself into a vampire by uh, injecting herself with a bullshit thing she made up. 
Um, <laughs> and, and when I say that, um, it's they they don't even embrace the normal way. They have to inject this this like alchemical thing that they've made up. Um, and you know some some people think they've been touched by divine fire. Some people think that uh, the the their progenitor was a Promethean who was embraced. Uh, and whether or not that can actually happen is, you know, left to the contag- left to the contagion chronicle, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, we have that mess to handle. Well, you do as well, of course. I think, well, yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the answer is, yeah, why not? You know, if you want to, I'm not going to tell you what to do at your table. Um, <laughs> There's reasons why I would say no, but then yeah, whatever. Um, so yeah, it was you know some experimentation, some some alchemical witchery, and now you know there are these kind of they're vampires, but they are uh, they don't they don't embrace the way other vampires embrace. Instead, they have this like weird brew of vitae and pyros that they have to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they then inject people with, uh, mm. and that's how they make new hypations. You've got to have a dot in the blood chemistry merit. <laughs> yes. Chemistry with a Y. Chemistry, chemistry um, with a Y. Yeah, I know. I just, I just keep saying chemistry when I look at it. Uh, how George R. Um, R. Martin replacing things with Y is just to make them <laughs> appear more arcane. Uh, why? Thank you. Is that is that why Eddie Webb spells his name the way he does? Hey, 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 hey. Are you are you more arcane? I, I I am I am obtuse. I don't obtuse. Okay. <laughs> um, right. No, I could see that again. Uh, that works excellently as an antagonist, and well, across multiple games. And yes. as you know, that's something that always appeals to me. So, ooh, lovely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I hope the listeners uh, are, are interested as well because that's a lot of concepts we're throwing at you in a short space of time. But that's what these deep dives tend to contain. Right. Uh, I am going to ask Danielle a Sophie's Choice style question now. Uh oh. And the answer doesn't have to be spilled blood. But you've now developed several Vampire the Requiem books. Yes. I want to know which one is your favorite. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it doesn't have to be spilled blood uh, at all. It can. Uh, it, I'm just interested to know which one is your favorite book uh, in terms of content. You and why is it Thousand Years of Night? You want me to pick between my babies? I do. He, I do. he literally called it Sophie's. Choice. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what was coming. I just wasn't sure if it was like books or what, like within this book. No, the um, others will all be pulped, or they would be if they were <laughs> traditionally printed. Uh, we, we'll just delete them off Drive-Thru RPG. I doubt you'll do that, so I feel safe in I don't answering. think he has the power to do that. Yeah. Gosh, I like them all for different reasons, so it's hard to pick a favorite. You know, I'm going to weirdly go with... I don't know, man. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I wasn't prepared for this question. They're, they're all looking at you with sad eyes right they now. They are. They're on my bookshelf and they're like, pick, pick me. And what, one of them is saying, we've got vampire cats. 
Um, <laughs> one of them is saying, but elders. And then another one is saying, but ghouls. Ghouls, dampiers. Yes. And then one oh. of them is saying, but social rules. Um, <laughs> <sighs> I, you know, honestly, I'm going to go with a thousand years of night. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> nice. uh, Did you have like something writing on this, Eddie? Uh, uh, no, I just figured that was the one to go with. Yeah, I, you know, people, I've always wanted to, okay, here's a fess up. For a very long time, I played a, like, two, I don't know, 1,500-year-old character uh, who was like everybody's quirky grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fun. It was super fun, and I had like lots and lots of children in the game. It was a LARP, so I had all these people playing like my my child or and in disparate cities, and I was always like mothering them because I was a Ventru, and so they I had to make sure that my bloodline was the best. Um, and so you know, making a book about like how to play a chronicle of like batty old vampires <laughs> was kind of like it's it spoke to my soul mm-hmm. so uh you know I, I know a lot of people were like oh they don't really have elder powers uh but they do um the 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 devotions in that book are it just really beefy um it like you know my author did a first pass and i was like these are not elder enough uh <laughs> <laughs> which you know is not normally an issue normally the issue is oh god this this one power can't do these five things stop it uh right but but it was definitely like i need this to feel like it was worth all that time and effort i put into making this you know this badass elder elder quote unquote uh a very old vampire in requiem um Elder is just, you know, kind of a holdover word. Right. Because there's none of the other words from Masquerade, like, make, there's, you know, we don't talk about neonates. Not really. You're either vampire or you're not. And then mm. those, some of those people are old. <laughs> like <Right>. boomers. <laughs> <laughs> so your favorite book you ever wrote was The Vampire Boomer Guide. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, Elder. <laughs> Yeah, oh, well, much. that's a good choice. Uh, having, as I contributed words to a Thousand Years Night of Night, I'm happy with that. Screw you, others. You're all getting pulped. Wow. Wow. We just agreed that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> no, no, you assumed that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I agreed nothing. I'm, pro- I'm a probably right because you don't have control over that. We'll um, see in a few years. In a few years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, um, I. I don't, don't think that, that's not a disappointing choice. I don't think there would have been one, but it is always interesting. It's something we don't often ask people um, whether there's a favorite product you've worked on, but I think um, we've all got favorites of RPGs we've contributed to or developed. Matthew's just happy because he wrote on Thousand Years of Night. Well, I, I also wrote on The Half Damned, so I had a 50-50 chance there. Well, that one sucks. No. <laughs> I, I also wrote on Thousand Years of Night, so... Oh. Yeah. I didn't realize I was playing into the path cast. That's kind of funny, actually, because you're not in the credits, Eddie. What? No? Oh, well, I wrote the fiction. No, he, he was... Pretty sure I did. Or maybe, maybe it was a different book, I don't know. 
Daniel. <laughs> How is he not in the credits? He absolutely you, you wrote. S- you snubbed Eddie. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I'm just saying, you're not, you're not in the credits, Eddie. Uh, Whoops. <laughs> Eddie, are you, uh, are you still feeling obtuse, or are you getting a bit sharper now? I, 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 think, I, I, I think I've moved from obtuse to obtuse. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it says table stakes by Eddie Webb. Right. So, I mean, I, I mean, so he's absolutely credited in the book. It just, I don't know how it didn't make it into the writer's the list. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. We can... <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't know how nobody remote. nobody caught that. No, this is great now because then when inevitably someone's like, "But you forgot my credit." That doesn't happen to the important people. It's like, well, here you go. Yeah. So <laughs> you've done us a service, Daniel. You right. punched up. <laughs> you punched up at Eddie. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. On this one percent. Because afterwards, this this is like one of those moments where we've now all got to go out to dinner, and there's just going to be lots of uncomfortable <laughs> silences and the sounds occasionally interspersed with the sounds of chewing. We're all friends. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're trying to create drama this whole episode, Matthew. I, I am, but to be fair, you were the insulting one. Whoa! <laughs> I would say antagonistic, not insulting. And uh, everyone okay. needs a good antagonist to keep them sharp. That's true. That's true. Yeah. A story is not a story without an antagonist, and you are ours, Dixie. Thanks. That's Thanks. all right. Uh, Danielle, if people want to find you online and what you've worked on, where would they go? Oh, gosh. I'm still working on uh, a website, so uh, which will eventually be uh, daniellozon.com, but it's not there yet, so don't try to go. Um, I'm going to go there in- right now. Yeah, and it will be like <laughs> there's. I think there might be something there because I have the do- connected to Wix, so it's probably just like a blank page. Uh, like, I'm exciting. Know. Yeah, you're so mysterious. Uh, I know. Um, I am. I have a author page on Facebook, which is Daniel Lozon author. Very, very intuitive there. Um, I am also on Twitter mostly just being a, a bullshit troll. Um, <laughs> you like only show up on Twitter when you find out that somebody else is messing with one of your friends. Yes. I, I go to Twitter because Twitter is, in my opinion, just a place for people to scream at each other. And so therefore yeah. I just go to scream at people. Um, so Danielle has like a bat signal that the I friends you know, <laughs> shine into the sky and all of a sudden it's and Danielle yeah. Hit yeah. with a baseball bat. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, that's not wrong. Yeah, Daniel so, appears using the rules of social combat. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so on on Twitter, I think I'm also Danielle Lozon at Impernius. Don't don't ask me where that came from. I was 16, and I've never gotten rid of it. So, uh, in that case, yeah. we shall respect your need for secrecy for now. <laughs> Uh, the next time you're on the podcast, we will ask. Yes, I see. Uh, and I Dixie, you, you're not our antagonist. You are, of course, our much beloved co-host. And, uh, and and a special shout out to Dixie as well. Although this episode isn't, they came from me on the grave themed. Uh, her writing work on Beyond the Grave over the last week or so of redlining has caused me to do nothing but smile as Aww. I was going through it. 
And, Thank you, uh, Matthew. That's quite all right. And uh, any developers out there listening who are looking for writers, providing Dixie's available for work, I certainly recommend hiring <laughs> her. But uh, definitely uh, not Danielle. But not Danielle. <laughs> no, Christ, she doesn't even put your name in the credits. Uh, <laughs> As a writer, I don't have any control over that. <laughs> <laughs> so hire Danielle as a writer. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, we're, we're all excellent. Hire all of us. Dixie, if people, <laughs> if people want to find you online, where would they go? Ingoodhoodixiecochran.com or Dixie Cyanide on most social media. And what about you, Eddie, who has been so reserved in this episode? Uh, because uh, I was promised a discussion of Empire Mermaids that never happened. So, whoa, yeah. you're right. We should talk about vampire mermaids. Yeah, we didn't we actually talk about the Nereids or the Nang. I guess people well, would have to buy the book to find out. Uh, well, well, um, Eddie, you give your your contact details, as it were, not your telephone number. That might be going a bit too far. And then right. Danielle can give us a few hot takes. <laughs> yeah, I'll just post oh. on Twitter about it and she can go on and correct me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and where you would do that at is uh, Pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-E-D-D-Y. Um, or you can find uh, my professional website and all my contact information at Pugsteady.com. And Danielle, before I give my details, uh, tell us about these vampire mermaids. What are they about? <laughs> okay, we have two different sea-dwelling vampires. We have the, the Ning, who are uh, essentially uh, shape-shifting uh, vampires that live in the water they're kind of like nagas they're a little like nagas who have made a deal with the strix to bring vampires to them yeah they get wow. scales and stuff yeah um they yeah <laughs> and then so there's the nereids the nereids who are straight up fucking mermaids um <laughs> <laughs> like even the picture of them is a mermaid with like a trident uh and they are uh, essentially they they work unknowingly or knowingly I'm not sure uh, for something that speaks to them from the depths. Uh, they are not uh, they the way they propagate is that they like infect a vampire and then turn that vampire into a mermaid. Yeah, they they don't uh, they're like. They're like, it's like a zombie curse almost, right? They bite you because they're looking for vampire blood because that's what sustains them. And then you get infected. Right. And then you feel this like call to the ocean and then you get in the ocean and then you eventually like deep ones kind of yeah. thing. You're like um, legs fused Matthew, together sorry. or like legs fused together into yeah. more of a tail type thing eventually. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you just say it like Matthew, Eddie? Because I'm not a deep one. <laughs> no, but you are drawn to the water and will eventually yeah, you will eventually yeah. go to the water where you belong. Right. You're in the process oh. of. I am in the process of changing into a deep one. You're uh, not a deep okay. one yet. Right? No. You're more I'm of a, a shallow, shallow one at this point. Yeah, yeah, I'm a shallow one. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to be I'm, a deep one with that attitude. Uh, <laughs> I'm paddling in the shallow end. And so you can find me paddling and piddling in the shallow end on MatthewDawkins.com. <laughs> Piddle in the shallow end. Don't, don't piddle in the water. Piddle in the shallow end. <laughs> uh, there should be a sign on my wall to remind me of that because I always. <laughs> and uh, on Twitter, I'm clap, click, bang. And thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Many worlds, one. Pa oh, 
No, thank you very much, Danielle, for coming on. That there, I very nearly snubbed you at the very end. Thank you. That's very okay. Much. I'm used to it. That's all right. We all, all apparently snub each other in turn. Many worlds, one path cast. <laughs>